Welcome to Dollar Theater. This is the podcast where we review movies that we love, some of which are critically acclaimed and some not so much. There is no dispute about the acclaim for this one we're covering tonight. It is the number 12 ranked movie of all time on IMDb with an 8.8 audience score. This is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'm glad to be talking about it with one of my good friends returning for the first time since she was on for Face Off a couple months ago. Danielle Lemoyne, what is up, my friend? Hello, hello. All right, good to have you back. So let's do this. Fight Club, 1999. It had been probably around a decade since I revisited this movie uh, upon rewatching it for this show. Still one of my favorites of all time. I think David Fincher is one of those directors, kind of like Wes Anderson or, or Tarantino, or even for the kind of a shitty reference here, Woody Allen where you watch one of their movies and you don't need any notes. You, you just look at like the cinematography and the tone and you're like, this is a David Fincher movie. You don't need, like all those other directors, you know, you're watching one of their films. Fincher has that too. It's kind of like a rare thing. And this kind of has the same dreariness that seven had and the same dark tones that we got before this with the game. And then after this with panic room. So you definitely know you're watching a Fincher film Brad Pitt, your mileage may vary on where this ranks in his filmography slash performances, but I'd venture to say if you polled 10 random people and asked, what's the first movie you think of when you hear the name Brad Pitt? Probably seven or eight of those people are going to say this. Ed Norton, we're going to talk about him more a little in depth. We'll talk about everybody in this film a lot more, but I think this would also, like Pitt, this would be the first thing when you look back at the career of Edward Norton as well, you, you would say, Fight Club is the first thing you think of. This is kind of both of these guys at the peak of their powers. I think at the time, and this possibly still holds, I've never been more shocked at the twist in the end of a movie. I saw this in, in a, for the first time. I saw this shortly after it came out. This came out uh, October 1999. I believe I saw it not opening weekend, but shortly after in a packed theater. And just like the reveal when it's revealed that Tyler is a figment of Edward Norton's character's imagination. He's not real. And it was just the the audible gasp in the theater when, when that was revealed. And th that has been ripped off so many times since. Uh, n notably, Danielle, did you watch the show Mr. Robot? No. Okay. Uh, but in Mr. Robot, you know what it is, right? Yeah. Are you about to spoil it for me? I. It's it's kind of like, were <laughs> you going to watch it this week? Well, no, probably not. Go ahead. Okay. Keep going. Well, I think you kind of know where I'm going anyway, because I, I referenced the Fight Club, the twist. So at the end of season one, Christian Slater is this guy who's kind of like mentoring Rami Malek's character, this like computer hacker. And it, it's revealed that Slater's not real. It's like a figment. And, and immediately I did the DiCaprio point at the screen when that when I saw it for the first time, I was like, Fight Club. So the, this it, this this twist has been stolen. And that was probably the best example of the other time I didn't roll my eyes when, when I saw it, it being ripped off. There's so many memorable quotes in this movie. Obviously, you think of the big ones, like you do not talk about Fight Club or the things you own and end up owning you. But for years, I, I would say to people, um, that was clever. How's that working out for you? Being clever. just It was just something I would say to people, just kind of like be a smart ass. I didn't even realize that I was stealing it from this movie. So there, there's like a lot. And like hearing some of the quotes, watching this again, I was like, holy shit, I forgot this was from Fight Club. So there's really nothing about this movie I don't like. It's one of a handful of films that I've given a 10 out of 10 to on IMDb. It's just a banger, even all these years later, seeing it so many times. Glad to be talking about it with you. Why do you like this movie, Danielle? Um, well, 
I love, I basically love everybody involved with it. So okay. uh, that's a major thing. All the creative influences coming together uh, just make it a really, really fun watch. Uh, I'm, I love Brad Pitt. And at this particular point in his filmography, I'm like super in love with him as far as um, his, well, besides what he looks like, but yeah, besides that. Um, his mannerisms, which I'll go on to talk about. Uh, I talked about that when we did Seven. He just has a way of con conveying personality through his gestures. Uh -huh. And I, I love it. Um, I love that skill that he has. And I kind of connect this to Seven and to 12 Monkeys. Those are my three. Ironically enough, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is my favorite movie of all time. But my favorite Brad Pitt performances the holy trifecta is 12 monkeys seven and fight club um so there's that uh i'm a big fincher fan so it's you know it's a great story also i love i'm not even going to try to say his last name maybe you can say it uh the the, the writer who wrote the novel chuck okay yeah so i'll, I'll you didn't want to botch it i'm i'll i'll gamble here and i might botch it uh Ch chuck pa Paolo hunick Sorry, sure, why not? No disrespect to Chuck. If I okay, if well, Chuck, um, we'll just call him Chuck. My buddy, he wrote a book called Diary that I read, and he's a great first person uh, narrative writer. Uh, I've never read Fight Club, and I was kind of thinking about it after watching this for like I think it's like the seventh time I've seen it. Um, I was thinking about going back and reading the source material because. I suspect that they were very true to it um, because the the film has that first person narrative vibe with the narration of the narrator, you know, and it just, um, yeah. So I, I like the author, love the director, love Brad Pitt. I, I love Edward Norton. This is not my favorite role of his actually, um, but that's uh, American History X. Um, but yeah, it's just a bunch of things that I love all coming together. It's a good, fun time. All right. So you, you, you started to dive into the two leads here. Why don't we expand on that a little bit? Pitt and Norton. Um, we covered Pitt in depth from when we did seven. We also, one of our previous episodes, we did Inglorious Bastards. We, we've talked about him a lot here. I don't personally have anything too significant to add to the Brad Pitt discussion, other than to add that in the year 2022, he was in three movies, two of which were most two of the most commercially successful films of the year in Bullet Train and The Lost City, and one with heavy critical acclaim, which I, I know you didn't like in Babylon. Um, but there there is a Babylon Hive. It's it's alive and well. So my guy is still uh, he's still thriving here in 2022. He's arguably one, probably I'd say like maybe him, DiCaprio, or the two biggest stars in the world still to, to this day. Uh, so I, other than that, I don't really have much to expand on. We'll talk about him kind of throughout Edward Norton. I believe this is the first time we've, we've covered him on the show. I, I maybe I'll go back and look and f I forgot about something, but I think this is the first time we talked about him. I talked about the twist at the end of this movie and how at the time it was the biggest shock I've ever seen in, in a theater before that though. I think the biggest shock I've ever seen in a movie theater was the ending, the primal fear. Have you seen that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was, I mean, and that was Edward Norton's film debut. And 
you know, he just kind of burst on the scene with that. And they did the people versus Larry Flint, American history X rounders. And then this, so like a hell of like second half of the nineties for him. And like Pitt continuing to do his thing all these years later, just starred in glass onion. One of the, one of the biggest films of the year as well. So these guys are just two bona fide movie stars leading this and they've been doing so for the last 30 years and will probably continue to be doing this for as long as they want to. Would any thoughts on either of these two or both of them in general or in this film? So um, Brad Pitt, I'm just going to say I was on the seven episodes. So if you want to hear what I think of Brad Pitt, go listen to the seven episode. So um, I I don't want to spend all our time with me praising Brad Pitt. That's how much (laughs) I love him. But um, Edward Norton, um, I also love Edward Norton. I just, I, I think that in Fight Club, Brad Pitt outshines him. So that's what's going on there for me, why I focus on Brad Pitt. But looking at Edward Norton's filmography, um, American History X, one of the best performances uh, out there. He was amazing. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so he's he's amazing in that movie. Um, I recently saw the uh, Incredible Hulk. Um, I thought, I honestly thought that he was the better Hulk, in my opinion. Sure. Well, um, he's Ed Norton, one of the best actors. So, yes, I uh, I actually like that movie a whole lot more than I thought I would based on just everyone hating it. And... It's an interesting what if, like what if he had stuck with the role, like would he, I, I don't know if I could have seen him like in the end battle and end game, but. Yeah, was... well, you know, he doesn't necessarily fit the MCU sure. cutter kind of mold, you know, but he brought a depth to Bruce Banner that, is no longer there for sure and so and and i enjoyed that i enjoyed seeing that um also you mentioned primal fear i mean he's got the scene in there where he he, there's a scene where he snaps on i forgot who the woman is in it but laura lenny okay yeah when he snaps on her and he just he goes from like sweet talking to like kind of like deranged all in the span of 30 seconds i mean he's a fabulous actor he is really really good so i'm a fan he's he's up there for me all right so we have an excellent supporting cast here as well this would be the first time that i had any awareness of helena bonham carter uh, as marla here 106 imdb credits i want to say half of those are tim burton films because they were to get they obviously they were together for several years and did you watch the crown we probably had this conversation before no Okay, but she was Princess Margaret in The Crown. She was twice nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress Emmy for that. Uh, but this, her role as Marla Singer in this is what I always, out of those 106 credits, this is what I always think of when I think of her. Jared Leto is in this. I was a fan. Of, I was, I watched My So-Called Life as a kid. And that's, by default, made me, made me fall in love with Claire Danes. But I do remember Jared Leto in this, in that show as well. So this was, when I saw him, in this movie, I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's the dude from my so-called life. Um, Meatloaf is in this as Robert Paulson. I think everybody grew up in, anybody who grew up in the 90s probably had a parent or two who by default got you familiar with his music, which I thought was great. I still do. I won't apologize. Um, aside from that, you got a, a, some that guys here. Zach Grania, who plays uh, Ed Norton's boss. And that's definitely going to be in one of my scenes that we talk about when we get there. Uh, he's consummate that guy. He was, he was one of the... Uh, the underlings and Tommy boy, which we covered recently. Uh, I'm going to f- screw up his name. Holt, Holt McCallany, uh here as, as the mechanic. He worked with Fincher on alien three. He would work with him again in, in Mindhunter, a show that was gone far too soon. 
Danielle, is there anyone who stands out for you in the supporting cast, either that I mentioned there or forgot to? Um, Helena Bonham Carter is fantastic uh, in this role. Uh, she is someone that I'm not normally a fan of. Um, I'm a big Tim Burton fan, so it doesn't even make sense, but I'm just <laughs> not normally a big fan of her. Um, I did love her in Big Fish, though. Uh, okay. She had a yeah. supporting role in Big Fish, that, and I loved her to that to bits in that. But this is probably, this is her best performance of, at least of what I've seen. Uh -huh. So um, I haven't seen The Crown, so I can't speak to that. Uh, but she was tailor-made for this role. For this role. And, and I think it's good that it's not Tim Burton that directed it. it <laughs> it's, you know, because it kind of, because it makes it seem like it's Tim Burton projecting his kookiness on her. You yeah. Know? She's actually her own kind of kooky. So that's another, that's another fun. We talked talk about what if with Ed Norton staying at the, as the Hulk. It's another fun fork in the road, you know, the Tim Burton fight club. You know, <laughs> would, it'd be different. I don't know if it'd be as good, but it would definitely, it would it definitely, would, uh, Odds are we'd still be podcasting about it if, if it existed. <laughs> All right. So before we uh, dive into our favorite scenes here, I had to look at my Letterboxd account earlier to see if I did, in fact, make uh, a favorite Fincher films list. And I surprisingly, I, I never made that list, but I did make a, a favorite Brad Pitt list at some point. And my top three were this at number one and I had Inglorious at two and then seven at three. So two of those three were Fincher films. I made a top 10 films of the 2010s and social network was my favorite movie when I made that list. I don't know if I made that list again, it would still be there. But when I made that list a couple of years ago, social network was my number one of the 2010s. Uh, so that's another Fincher representation there. So I guess my top three of him, if I had to just fire it off the top of my head, I'd go social network, this fight club seven as my one, two, three. Where would you rank this in your, your Fincher sphere? Or do you, did you make that list already on your letterbox? I didn't make the list. Okay. And I was thinking as, obviously, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is number one. Sure. Um, I think I need to rewatch The Game. So The Game is a movie that doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, but I have thought all my life that it's a phenomenal movie. But I haven't seen it in a good 15 years to be able to comment on it, to be like, yeah, this is why, you know? So I would say it's Curious Case Benjamin Button number one, and then probably a battle between Seven, The Game, and Fight Club from okay. there. That's what I would say. I've also I've seen The Game and Panic Room one time each. And I, I would like to, re I certainly would like to revisit Panic Room, probably over The Game, especially new season of True Detective has Jodie Foster in it. So I'd would like to just hit back some of her uh, her highlights. Well, but, I did I did uh, rewatch Panic Room and it's still great. Yeah, so. yeah, I remember loving it when I saw it, but that was like, holy shit! I'm so old. That came out in 2000, so it was like tw over 20 years ago. But yeah, I, I definitely would like to. I mean, I guess all his films are worth revisiting. And then The Killer is supposed to come out this year. That's with Michael Fassbender playing an assassin. And it's what a world we're living in. David Fincher has a Netflix movie coming out. Like, why isn't this in the theaters? I, I don't know. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> All right. Why don't we take a quick break on that note? And we'll start talking about our favorite scenes. All right, we are back. Favorite scenes. First one I have written down here. I, I have some I, most of my scenes I've labeled as, as quotes. 
And the first one here I have is a quote, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. And this is uh, the narrator who we, we don't get Edward Norton's name in this movie. He's he met Tyler on the plane already and they he meets him at a bar after his apartment blew up. And Tyler says, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I like how they juxtapose this with all the different they flash back to show all the different jobs Tyler does working in the movie theater inserting the the pornography stills into the children's films we, we see him pissing in the soup at his, his catering job and you know we get some more quotes here he's like how much can you know your, know about yourself if you've never been in a fight uh he hits pit in the ear which uh according to the internet that that i read he actually edward norton actually hits pit in the ear here and his reaction to like you hit me in the ear that's that's a real genuine like he's he's kind of like annoyed so it was it kind of looked genuine and we see them, they, they get into a fight and they ultimately, this is like the origin of Fight Club. He ends with them saying, we should do this again sometime. So this is kind of like the beginning of Fight Club. Danielle, what did you think about that scene? Uh, a lot of fun, like many of the scenes. Uh, one of the things you mentioned uh, about how it's juxtaposed against other, showing Brad Pitt's different jobs and everything. Uh, something I really like is the work done by James Haygood in this. He's the editor. Yeah. And uh, the quick edits. And it, it keeps it kind of lively. Like, this could just be, like, just a shot, a, you know, a one-on shot of this action going on. And that can be as interesting as it can be. But with all this other stuff being uh, put into it as well, it just keeps it very lively. So it's just a, it's just a very fun interaction, the whole, the whole piece as, all, as a whole. So... I enjoyed it quite a bit. What's the scene you like? Uh, we'll start. I'll start small. Sure. I always laugh at it. This is the I think the funniest scene in the film with Chloe. The I don't know. She has cancer. Or something oh yeah, like yeah. That. She's and yeah. She when she hits on the audience, um, <laughs> when she's uh, on the podium and starts yeah. talking about the sex things she has at home and <laughs> how all she wants is to get laid one last time. Yeah. I, I always crack up, uh, you know, whether I'm paying attention fully or not um, through any movie in a scene like that, I'm like 100% wide awake tuned in because it's hysterical and just find it really funny. It, I know it, it's and it's not it's not supposed to. I don't think it's supposed to be funny. And it is. And I, I do find myself kind of like chuckling. It's like this woman is probably has like a couple of days left to live. And it, yeah, it shouldn't be funny. It's one of the things that shouldn't be funny, but it kind of is. Well, her delivery is so deadpan too. Yeah. That's the other thing, the way she says it, you know, and then the woman's trying to like hush her up on the side and trying to pull her away. And she's like still talking into the mic. You know, she's very devoted to getting somebody to agree to what she's looking for. So sure. appreciate it. Yeah. What about you? Rest in peace, Chloe. Yes. Another one I have here is is the burn scene, and this is where uh, Pitt burns Norton's hand with the the chemical burner, and it's just it's very it's a very intense scene because he's grab he's grab he can't move, and you know we get all the bumper sticker quote series like without pain without sacrifice we'd have nothing, and at at one point Norton yells to him he's like you don't know how this feels, and then Pitt just shows him the hand the scar on his hand too. And it's just a wild scene. It's like, what are these guys doing? It's kind of like when this movie starts to go like completely batshit. Uh, what what'd you think of that scene? Oh, well, I also like that Brad keeps, uh, Tyler keeps hitting him. To yeah. To keep him in the moment because he keeps trying to like go into his little 
safe space and everything. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, you have to be here. And he like just keeps smacking him, you know, over and over again. And it's, <laughs> it's a very, it's a funny scene. Yeah, he tries to start meditating at one point. And yeah, yeah, I don't know if you can meditate as your hands like being seared alive, but you know, I do meditate sometimes, but I don't know if I, it would, the force would be strong enough to not yeah. feel something of, of that magnitude. Well, Tyler wants to make sure he's not getting anywhere near the, uh, anywhere with that at all. And I find it <laughs> hilarious. Uh, what's one, what's another you got? Um, so it's a short little scene, sure. but I love it for the cinematography. Um, the airplane crash. Okay. Um, so that little scene that's yeah, in yeah. his head. Um, I, I love that scene from a cinematography standpoint. It's a cool because scene. Because you see him sitting there and the oxygen masks drop down and the camera pans um, with him centered in the, in, the, in the frame and the camera pans. And it's got this music video feel to it that, and actually, if you look at who's involved on this project, editor, cinematographer, and the director all have expansive backgrounds in uh, music videos. Uh, yep. So it's it's like, uh, it's just very cinematic that moment. And I, I love it. I just, I'm just like, ooh, look at it panning. You know, like that's kind of what's happening to me. So, so yeah, so that's a scene I love. Cool. Another one I have written down here is, I just have another quote I have, I'm fucking Lou. And this guy coming down to the loose tavern after they've been squatting in his basement doing the fight club. This guy just looks like you know an extra from Goodfellas. Just he didn't make they, they deleted his scenes and like he just rolled onto this set. And you know, it, it ultimately we see Tyler and this guy Lou kind of bartering with each other. Lou, who's loose tavern, tells him to leave. Tyler tells him, you know, you should join our club. And then they Lou proceeds to like beat the shit out of him but it's really just like tyler letting him kick his ass and he's laughing at him and then just he doesn't even like do anything back to him he just jumps on him and blood's like pouring from his mouth and lou just gets like shit lou's just like petrified and he's like can we stay here he's like would really like to stay here he's like i want your word lou and like blood's just pouring from his mouth it was pretty gross scene but it it was a quick one and it just shows kind of like how crazy tyler is what'd you think of that scene Oh, Brad Pitt's laugh. The yeah. laugh is the best, the best part of it. The way he's he's cracking up, and it's such like a demonic laugh, too. It's um Brad Pitt. That was on my list of I made a little list of why Brad Pitt's like the best actor in uh-huh. the universe. And that was on there. His laugh was <laughs> one of the reasons. I it's just the way he's his he cracks me up in that scene. His reactions to getting the crap beat out of him just is is great yeah we'll just volley here with your turn go ahead (laughs) um do we want to do we want to come to the end yet we go all over the place we don't need rules okay all right well then okay no before we do that let's talk about the scene i think you were going to talk about it um because you mentioned the boss uh when edward norton beats himself up which yeah is the most creative way to lose a fight in the world because <laughs> Tyler says, you know, your job is to go out, pick a fight and lose it. You know? Right. So, and the fact that he does technically pick a fight yeah, but, and does lose the fight. So he follows the parameters of what he needs to do, but it's him doing it to himself is, is ingenious and hysterical. And that's just like, that's such a fun moment to watch. 
and he just he kicks he throws himself into the bookshelf throws himself through the table and just just him talking when he's, he's saying like you know talking about all these safety violations this company is, is like willingly participated in for profit and, and he's you know zach Grania says to him he's like you know get the fuck out of here you're fired and he's just like counterpoint and it and he's like, I could do this job from home. And just he's like such a smart ass. And then security comes and he's like, please stop, stop, stop. And he's, he's set it up perfectly. And we, we see like, you know, Norton, he just just the guy with insomnia. He's just he, and we see him in the beginning. He's just sick of his life, basically. He's just the mundaneness of it all. And he's just kind of like reduced to this point. Yeah, and there's, you know, when you first uh uh, I'm gonna let you keep saying his name. I don't know his name, and um, the boss. Yes, the Zach, boss. Zach Grania. Okay, so when he first shows up in the film, uh, the first shot of him is from the neck down. Okay. So when he comes in talking to him in the office, uh, you don't see his face, and I thought that was pretty uh, genius to kind of get that idea across what you were just saying. It made me think of that of you know how mundane his life is and how basically you know like how checked out he is and how ready he is for a nervous break um and taking that further we haven't mentioned it which i don't know how we made it this long without mentioning it but the brad pitt edit inserts um that are in the film early on yeah you know, like it's you're four minutes in before you get a frame of brad pitt in the corner Right. So, you know, you're at the, we're kind of put into the, into the film at the point where he's like, he's on the, the brink of collapsing, yeah. you know, and then we get to watch him essentially collapse, you know, sure. which is the fun part of the film. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Fincher and I don't want, I do want to mention his name, um, his, his cinematographer, Jeff Cronenworth, and they've worked together on five films together. Yeah um the the two of them they just come up with these shots that are that really bring home what's you know what's going on in edward norton's head and it may not make sense at the time while you're watching it and you might just be like oh that's kind of cool like why aren't we seeing this guy's head you know that's a weird right. shot but it actually does have meaning once you you once the twist kicks in then you can kind of look back on a second watch and say oh this is why this was done yeah yeah which is really what cool how early on, like the second time you watch this, were you like noticing like little like nuances, knowing that like the pit character isn't real. And especially like, I get this a lot, even watching it now, like just seeing like Marla's reaction to everything. Like she's just like when he, Edward Norton even alludes to Tyler, she's like, what? And it's just like a lot of like crazy shit, especially there's a scene towards the end of the movie where they're talking about project mayhem in the car and they have two of the guys in the background and pits in the backseat rather and pits, driving the car so it's theoretic it's norton driving the car they're having a full-blown conversation and norton just keeps telling these guys to shut up every time they open their mouths so it's just it's weird when you think of, did any of you go through any of that when you upon a rewatch well i actually watched it remember i our podcast mishap so i watched it we were originally doing this podcast a couple of months ago and we didn't you know for unforeseen reasons so i watched it then okay so I rewatched it this weekend. So I was just coming off a rewatch essentially. Uh -huh. So now I really delved in because I was like, okay, now I like am very familiar with the film. So now I'm going to watch for the nuances to see. And I really think the stuff they do with Marla is 
really interesting. Like the, it all makes sense when, you know, like they never shoot the three of them in the same room, you know? Yeah. So, and, and like you said, her reaction to things like he'll, and the way he acts, like he'll be like, what are you doing here? Why are you in my house? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and which is a pers- a perfectly good question for someone that doesn't know that they've had a nervous breakdown. Right. Um, and on her end, she's like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Like you're an asshole, you know, which would be a normal reaction. Sure. In her, you know, from her point of view. So, um, so yeah, it's actually that this is the type of film that you have to watch two times for sure. Uh-huh. You know, at bare minimum, just because, you know, the first time you're, you're in the story and you're enjoying everything that's happened. And then the, the rug gets pulled out from under your feet. But the second time, watching it it's also a fun experience at watching it knowing the twist because of all the things you pick up along the way sure yeah this, this is probably one of the biggest films that served most from from a rewatch all right shall we go into the end end territory here yes sure Let's all do right it. so the first one i i have broken down into two parts the reveal and then i just have the the last part is as pixies where where is my mind because that's like the only part i remember at the very end of the movie so the reveal we see uh narrator at norton he finds all these like plane tickets because tyler is missing at this point and he eventually runs into him uh through a bar he runs into a bartender who's who, the guy's got the halo on and he's like you did this to me sir and he shows him like the same scar in his hand where he burned him and he's, he's like what i did this to you and he calls marla and marla tells him his name is tyler durden and then boom he's just in the hotel room and he's like why do people think that i'm you and he's like because we're the same person and i just they, sh- they juxtapose that they show a montage of earlier scenes in the film where we see them fighting outside the bar, but it's just Norton beating the shit out of himself. And then we see Norton giving most of Pitt's monologues and it's just crazy. I, did you see this in the theater when it, when it came out? Yes. Okay. I don't remember very well, but I did. Okay. Yeah. So I, I do remember, I was just like, I was like, Ooh! and the, basically a, a packed house. It was, it was, it was cool to be in that environment. Cause it was just like, Holy fuck. What, what was your first, what was your reaction the first time you, you saw this reveal? I mean, I was blown away. You know, yeah. it just, um, it's just, it's just smart. It's such a, a smart trick to play and yeah. you don't see it coming from a mile away. You know, like it's not, you know, people always complain about things being predictable. Yeah. You know, it's one of the number one complaints. You read reviews. Oh, it's predictable. It's predictable. This is not predictable at all. No, not in the slightest. You know, and and uh, so it's got that merit because of that. It's just it completely throws you and it's, you know, good time. Yeah. No, nothing. Yeah, it's it was wild right up there. I guess. Did this come before or after Sixth Sense? That's a good question. I don't remember either. But yeah, it was it was right up there with like your twist endings of all time. Yes, definitely. Pretty, pretty wild. All right. And then we got the we the ending here, which you know, I don't really have too much to add on the ending. I think I think like the reveal is kind of like the, the holy shit moment with the end of the movie, and then we get obviously Project Mayhem carries out their mission, and you know I I didn't see any fruits of this, but because none of my debt is eliminated, but they perceivably ended all the world's debt by blowing up all these buildings, and then you know picks that is another song I downloaded because of this this podcast i'm like okay that's the name of that song and pixies where is my mind is now on my my gym playlist what'd you think of the very end of the movie so um i have that listed as one of my favorite scenes 
Uh, I love the shot of Marla and the narrator holding hands as the buildings come down. Right. Like the needle drop. Uh, I, ha I happen to love that song myself. Uh, it's just uh, beautiful imagery. And, you know, it's a uh, spoiler alert for people that wanted to read the book. But, hey, you're listening to a podcast about it. Um, so in the book, he actually ends up in a mental institute. Right. So... Um, so I like this ending better. I mean, that yeah, yeah. kind of cool, but I like this. I, I just like, I like the way it, it ends, the way it looks. And it's like, it's kind of beautiful in this very dark, decrepit kind of way, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I love the ending personally. I, I do want to say, well. um, one thing though, uh, that I just think is funny and I want to share with the world. I do find, uh, some plausibility issues with what happens to him as far as the gunshot goes. Yeah. I, I had some questions that I just suspended disbelief on. <laughs> yes. So that being said, I wrote literal note. How is he standing? Right. <laughs> and three seconds later, a character said, I can't believe he's standing. And then someone else <laughs> said one tough motherfucker. So <laughs> I appreciated, although I was like, you know, putting my my finger up, being like, "Hey, I don't know if this makes sense." Right. It's like David Fincher and crew were like, "Yeah, we kind of know this doesn't exactly make sense, so we're going to throw in that little line for you to acknowledge it." To <laughs> a little wink to the audience. It'll make it okay, which it does make it okay. So, <laughs> good job. But I I got a kick out of the fact that the TV was talking to me, so yeah. <laughs> and clearing things up. So I, I had the same thoughts. So we're we're in, we're in sync there. Okay, why don't we segue? According to the internet, so we like to start these with the casting almost here. The first one I have here is kind of a big one. It, Russell Crowe was considered for the role of Tyler, which, you know, it would it would have been cool. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not changing anything about this movie, but this was Crowe 99. It was shortly before Gladiator. So he was there very much at the peak of his powers. It would have been cool. It would have been a good movie. And then maybe we'd be doing this podcast talking about, you know, Brad Pitt was considered for the role of Tyler. That would have been crazy, but thank God it was Russell Crowe. You know, so there's a bizarre world where we're having that conversation. I like Russell Crowe, especially in, at this time. But I, I don't know if it works because Russell Crowe isn't really that big of a star now. He's just playing these like side roles in Thor, Love and Thunder, doing that uh, that where he plays the Road Rage dry, un, Unhinged or whatever it was called. He's not really like doing like blockbusters the way Pitt still is. So if you look at Pitt, like all these years later, he's still an A plus lister. So that I don't know if we're looking back on this film with Russell Crowe is in the lead. I don't know if gladiators that revered. I still love that movie, but it's not something like a lot of people talk about the way they do about fight club. So for those reasons, I'm glad it went the way it did. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Uh, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, uh, I'm glad it didn't happen. Yeah. So that's pretty much my my thought on that. I can't picture anyone Brad Pitt in this role. Yeah, same. But it, it, Russell Crowe in '99. That that I don't know. I'm trying to maybe I'm doing a little revisionist history, but he was probably like right up there with Pitt. DiCaprio is like one of the biggest stars on the planet in '99. He was big name at that point. I just don't think Tyler is such a gritty character, and yeah. I don't think that Russell Crowe has that grittiness in him. You could have seen like it would have been believable for me. I mean, and obviously, you know, he did get his ass kicked a couple of times pit in this movie, but I can't see like Russell Crowe really like losing any fights. 
And I think that's kind of like the kind of the charm of this movie. It's like, you know, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are in these like indestructible forces. Like I, I look at these guys and you're like, Oh, maybe I could like win a fight with these guys. But Russell Crowe is, is a brawler. And then we, we saw that shortly after in gladiator where he just fucks everybody up. All right. So we're, we're in sync there. The two for the role of the narrator that were considered that I have here, Matt Damon and Sean Penn. So would have been cool. I am the same, you know, Matt Damon and Ed Norton were in rounders together uh, a year prior and they, they had great chemistry together. Um, I think Damon could have slipped into this role and would have been fine, but ultimately I like Norton Penn. I don't, I don't know. He worked with Fincher prior. This was a year after the game so that they were, uh, they were familiar with one another. Either of these could have worked. Do you have any thoughts on those? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think Matt Damon is a fantastic actor. Yeah. So, so I believe that whatever you're trying to sell, he can sell it for sure. you. So I could see it working for him. All right. For the role of Marla, Janine Garofalo was Fincher's choice. And the studio wanted Reese Witherspoon. But according to the internet, uh, Fincher said she was too young, which probably is accurate. I'm trying to think 99. This was, well, she was an American Psycho the same year. So she was starting to do more, more, she was starting to like get away from the cruel intentions, uh, election high school roles. But I, I don't, I'm Janine Garofalo. I feel like it would have been like a mirror, uh, similar. I think it would have been similar to Carter's portrayal here. And it's kind of, that's another like fork in the road moment. Like if she's in fight club, where does her career go? Because I don't really hear much about Janine Garofalo anymore. She was like somebody definitely a product of the nineties. I think any of these, any thoughts? Uh, well, my notes say Reese Witherspoon, hell no. So, okay. <laughs> I, I cannot see. I like Reese Witherspoon, but she's way too much of a Goldilocks for the role. Um, The other casting, what if, who Edward Norton wanted was Courtney Love, who was his girlfriend at the time. Um, And according to David Fincher, um, he was like, yeah, Courtney Love gets this role. There's no question about it. She gets the character, but he didn't want to deal with any onset drama. So that was why he wasn't interested in going that route. I think Courtney Love could have nailed this role. So I would be okay with that. Um, Another one I heard was Winona Ryder. I did see that. Yes. Um, That would have been cool. And I think that could have worked as well. But I definitely think I I like it exactly the way it went. I think it's perfect. But Courtney Love would have been an interesting interesting person to play that role. Because I agree. I mean, she basically play herself. Am I crazy? Did I just read an article that Courtney Love did in an interview just recently where she said Brad Pitt got her fired from Fight Club and it was kind of like dismissed because he's I'm probably botching this and this is podcasting at its finest, but I'm just going to run with the hearsay that I think I remember. Um, I think he said something along the lines of he wanted to play Kurt Cobain in a movie and they got into a fight over it, and he got her fired from Fight Club. This is what she said in an interview. I'm not completely off. She said something in this ballpark. Did you read this, or? I did not. Okay, but this is something, this is, that read some crazy article with Courtney Love, because then it was like, it was circulating the internet. It was viral for like a day or two, and then the internet moved on to the next thing, but this was something, I don't know if it was like last week or last month, but Courtney Love's name was definitely on my radar for something yeah, to do with Fight Club. This was a direct quote from Fincher that um, as far as about Courtney Love possibly being in the film. And 
um he said yeah she would get the role it's it's not about the role it was you know i guess he didn't want to have which makes sense you don't want your stars dating because if there's any relationship drama that's gonna you know especially the scenes that she had to do with uh that uh bonham carter had to do with brad pitt their uh cgi kama sutra stuff you know so who knows how edward norton might have felt about that and you know so there was drama to be had and fincher didn't want to deal with any of that i'm not crazy she did say something like this she she was on the mark maron podcast and she did tell a story she described Pitt had planned to play the Nirvana frontman who died by suicide at 27 and 94. And I guess she put out a tweet to Claire. I'm, I'm going to read her tweet. Just okay. Hi, regarding a story I told on the at Mark Marin podcast, a story I was never going to tell. It says Brad pushed me a bridge too far. I don't like the way he does business or wields his power. It's a simple fact. And it started during the production of fight club. I understand how much, I understand how much of a game of roulette casting is. I'm not here 22 years later bitching about losing a part playing someone's side piece in a movie. On the podcast, I recount the the day Brad and Gus Van Sant called me from lunch and tried to blackmail me over my role for the rights to a film about Kurt. I lost my shit on them, and by 7 p.m. I was fired from Fight Club. Every word of this is factual. This was always a secret that I was fine keeping. It's a movie. Indeed, I passed on better roles than that. Who cares? The point is, Brad kept stalking me about Kurt. And that's end, end of the tweet. This that's is so weird because Gus Van Sant did do a Kurt Cobain movie and Brad Pitt wasn't in it. Yeah. I, you know, this is one person's version of the story. It do, does say here that Pitt denies all of this. So, you know, we got a little he said, she said. But yeah, this, okay. So I'm just confirming that I'm not crazy. I did, this was something you that go. I read. You're not on the internet <laughs> podcasting information. Yes, that's I haven't... not true. I haven't created an alter ego. <laughs> what do you mean? We do have a third on the third, the podcast. It's it's this guy with us. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you have any? You mentioned Ryder there. Uh, you had things from the internet. I'm sure. Uh, did you hear about the different directors and I, who they initially wanted? I did, but refresh my memory. Peter Jackson was the one they wanted to direct this. Okay, could have been cool. Weird. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought of the Shire when I read that, and I was just like, "Yeah, I don't know how that translates to to Fight Club." But I know it definitely would have been things. not as dark. It would have been it would have been brighter, and I don't know if I like that. Yeah, yeah, and it might have been some hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, and then also I read that uh, Brian Singer and Danny Boyle were also in talks as well, okay. like of people they were looking at. Um, Danny Boyle, that was. I, that was like two years after train spotting two or three years and that was like another gritty film so that, yeah, that could have been cool all right so i have a little anecdote here pitt visited a dentist to have pieces of his teeth removed so he wouldn't have perfect teeth in the film and after filming them he had the teeth restored this is just something rich people can do it's like cool good good, good for you like i i don't know the dentist is expensive so I don't wonder how much this would cost. Just if I went to the dad's, like, hey, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have perfect teeth. It's just a burden. Can you just like remove this and I'll, I'll come back for it later? I, I, I got to Google how much that actually costs. You read that you were nodding your head. I guess you read this, this yes, piece I did. too. Well, I look at it as dedication to craft. Sure. Uh, yeah. So definitely. I know I wouldn't want to go volunteer to get my front teeth chipped. No. So, and Brad Pitt wasn't told to do this, he decided to do this. So, dedication to craft 
Uh, the line where Marla says, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school, apparently was very shocking to Carter after realizing what it meant because she's British. And I guess in Britain, that doesn't mean the early grades. Grade school, you know, typically means like K through five. And I guess she thought that meant like a little bit older. And when she read the line and like what it actually meant to Americans, she was aghast. And I don't know, there's something I read on the internet. Pretty. Well, that was better than the original line. So which was the original line is. Okay. Well, the original line that's in the book is I want to have your abortion. Okay. So, and uh, basically Laura, I don't know her name, the, person at Fox had a heart attack about that line and was like, okay. absolutely not. It will not be in this movie. And uh-huh. so that was the, that was the compromise. Okay. This line was the compromise. So <laughs> it was, and apparently Bonham Carter's uh, parents like didn't even want the script in the house, you know, like they were just, yeah, it, uh, definitely, but it could have been worse apparently. Sure. All right. Still pretty. Yeah. I guess shocking. Line. I mean, in, we're talking about a David Fincher movie, you know, this, so it's not like that shocking of a line. I, I don't know. I don't blanket these things, really. I mean, we watched him put Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box a couple of years prior. So, you know, talking about stuff like that is par for the course with him. I had two more. You want to just volley these with one another? You want to start? Yes. Uh, I want to talk about what I think is very cool, which is the golf scene um that's when, actually one of mine so cool yep of course that's why i wanted to go next so i get to it before you uh Never. The, go- the golf scene where they're playing golf in uh the streets outside the paper house and uh that was not part of the script that was brad pitt and edward norton drunk um playing golf outside and fincher was like hey this is an opportune moment this would be pretty cool on film and it found its way into the film and yeah i think that's awesome that's and and it's it's it adds a layer i mean it's already this is like you know for lack of a better word fight club is the epitome of cool it's just it's a cool movie you know and for sure and so it adds another layer of not only do you have this cool movie but you have like cool actors playing these characters who in their downtime get drunk and play golf in the middle of the street (laughs) for no good reason you know and then it like it made its way into the into the film, which I think is awesome. Definitely. They're very cool. And then when you go back and rewatch these scenes over, like knowing the context of like things that happened, like we talked about that. We talked about him hitting Pitt in the air. That was something that like really happened. It's, it's always fun to go watch. Like you see the genuine reactions of people. So the last one I have here is there was an incident in which uh, Rosie O'Donnell appeared on her talk show and was apparently like so offended by this film after seeing it that she went on her at that time. I remember Rosie O'Donnell was a very big deal and she went on her TV show and revealed the ending publicly. So this was a spoiler and this is, you know, this is a very big spoiler if you found this out ahead of time. And so she revealed the ending on her show and I did not re- hear the DVD commentary track, but if you listen to that, uh, they talk about it, Norton, Pitt, and Fincher, and Pitt calls her actions unforgivable. Did you read about this at all? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. Um, and uh, apparently she, like, didn't realize how big of a deal it is. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. That's a big twist to blow because – and just because she didn't like it, like, yeah. really, you know? I don't know. Like, 
were we using the word spoiler in 1999? I think so. Okay. Yes. All right. I think so. All right. But yeah, that's, that's a pretty big thing to reveal. I remember, I was a big Rosie fan. I guess she had like a, she had a moment in the mid nineties. And then I remember like, just kind of like hearing about her off in the distance and that she was doing like crazy shit like this. I do remember vaguely hearing about this and it was like, it was basically every time Rosie O'Donnell was in the news, it was for something crazy in the like late nineties. And then we just, we just watched that show American gigolo. And that was kind of like the first time I had seen her in a while. And now after reading this again and being reminded, I don't feel bad that I quit that show after a couple episodes. Nothing to feel bad about. I I, I went all the way through and uh, <laughs> told you you're fine. Power to you. Okay, I'm done. Did you have any more there? Well, two things. Sure, um, one, no last name Chuck, author of the book. Um, <laughs> he was very happy with the outcome. He actually felt that the film kind of put his book to shame. Um, he felt that the way the film streamlined things, he said, uh, it made him feel a bit like insecure about the the novel, which, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, as I was telling you uh, earlier, I had listened to your podcast recently about The Shining mm-hmm. and connecting to that about how Stephen King hated Stanley Kubrick's version right. you know, of, of the source material. It's nice that in this case, you have an author being like, well, this is great. You know, this is... This is better than what I wrote, you know. So it's uh-huh. like such a, it's such a like a pat on the back for, sure. for that, you know. So I thought that was really nice. You don't always get to hear no. authors feeling that way about what's made out of their books. And then the other thing, just a fun fact that I liked uh, reading about is that, um, you know, you'll see that, you know, like on Seven, the way they got the look of Seven was uh, using bleach uh, bypass. And so here, what they, uh, what they did, they underexposed to make the film look dirty. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I like reading about little like techniques of things. And David Fincher, he, that's something that makes him, like he's not, uh, him and whoever he's working with, they're not point and shoot. Um, he's not a point and shoot director. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, here, throw the camera on them, let them act. And then let's move to another scene and let them act. You know, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot more artistic elements that go into it. So, yeah, so part of that, the way Fight Club looks the way it looks is because they were underexposing the film. And I thought that was a pretty cool fact to share. That's cool. I always like hearing the, the technical aspects aspects because it's way smarter than I can anything I can comprehend <laughs> without just reading it. All right. So on that note, we're going to segue into trivia. And you told me beforehand that you had a question and I have a question as well. I will let ladies decide. Would you like to go or would you like me to? I'll go. Sure. All right. So as I mentioned before, David Fincher has a a very, a a big body of work in the music video field. Um, He's made many iconic music videos and He's worked with of the following six performers. He's worked with five out of six. Okay. So the question is, which one did he not work with? Got it. Okay. Got Madonna, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Paul Abdul, Aerosmith, and George Michael. Okay. I feel like I can eliminate Madonna, Paul Abdul. I think he did the straight up video. I'm not sure. Um, I think you want me to repeat the other four? 
No, no, no. I got, I got it. Um, okay. So I, I'm pretty sure he worked with George Michael. Um, I'm leaning on one of the Jacksons. I, oh, man. Yeah, can you say the, the choices again? Well, you said not Madonna. You said Madonna you're excluding. So the Madonna, ones you have left, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Aerosmith. Okay. I feel like he's worked with Aerosmith too. Um, I'm going to go uh, Michael Jackson. You were close. Oh, so Janet? close. So Janet. Okay. He, he did work with Michael Jackson. What a uh, video did he do for MJ? Of course you would ask that. <laughs> Get back to me in a minute. Okay. You uh, know what he, do you like Aerosmith? Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you remember the, the video, uh, Janie's got a gun? Oh yeah. He did that. Okay. I was I, I I was like blown away by that because I love I think that's a great video. Yeah, no, that's all of his videos. I remember because we talked about we did Clueless a couple months ago, and we were talking about the the videos for Crazy and Crying with Alicia Silverstone mm-hmm. that he did. Yeah, those were yeah, those what a great time when when they had music videos. Yes, and they were you know, and they were really they were cinematic experiences. You know, a lot of the music videos back then. They put a lot of a lot of art into it. Um, so he did he did a couple at Michael Jackson. Who uh, is it? He did Dan- he did Who Is It? He did Dangerous. Okay. So doesn't he didn't do any of his like really big ones, but he did Vogue. He did Madonna's Vogue. Which... I, I knew he I, I didn't know if it was Vogue or like a virgin, but yeah. All right. So that's cool. And Paul Abdul, what it just the way that you love me. I feel like he did multiples with Abdul forever your girl. Yeah, he did and straight he also, up. I was right about that. I don't know if you uh, are you familiar with the band A Perfect Circle? I know of them, but I okay. Well, there's a video that they did that I absolutely love, and I found out today he did the video, and I was like, Of course, he did everything I love. <laughs> All right, your turn. All right, so I got a Ed Norton themed question here. Okay, the guy's got 52 IMDb credits, so he's been he's been working pretty steadily for the last 30 years or so. Which of these directors has he not worked with? Okay. Ridley Scott, Robert Rodriguez, Wes Anderson, Spike Lee, Paul Thomas Anderson, or Danny DeVito? Oh, man. So, I of all these guys, one. <laughs> one of these guys has never done anything with. And he can eliminate right away? Spike Lee. Okay. Hmm. I'm like on one hand I'm like I don't remember him being in a Wes Anderson movie but I don't like Wes Anderson so I I would probably block that and not know (laughs) that he was in a Wes Anderson movie I'm gonna go with Danny DeVito yeah he's been in four I just want to he's been I know you don't like Wes but he's been in four Wes Anderson movies so it's okay I would have I would have chuckled at your expense a little bit if you said west because he did four he was in uh he was in moonrise kingdom grand budapest hotel isle of dogs french dispatch you said devito yeah not devito it uh he was in death to smoochie directed okay. directed by danny devito the correct answer paul thomas anderson never been in any pta films ridley scott what ridley kingdom scott? of heaven had a small part in that oh my gosh yeah and... I know that. I just watched Kingdom of Heaven the other day, and he was the best thing in that movie. Yeah. By the way, 
Speaking Robert of Rodriguez. Movie, I forgot that when we were talking about him. Terrible. Have you ever seen that? What is it? Kingdom of Heaven. Have you ever seen it? A long time ago. I couldn't have a long conversation about it. I, I don't think it's a good movie. Yeah, but, not Ridley's best. Yeah, I don't think it's a good movie, but Edward Norton, I, I he, he wears a mask for the whole movie. And okay. I was like, whoever this guy wearing the mask is, is really a really good actor. And then I went and checked <laughs> it up after the movie was over. And I was like, oh, it's Edward Norton. Of course it is. <laughs> of course. So... Yeah. Anyway. So I hit the rest of these here. Robert Rodriguez, he was in Alita Battle Angel. At, it was like a post credit scene. So I thought <laughs> I might stump you with that. And so it, it led you to believe that there would be a sequel to this movie because Edward Norton re- was revealed to be like the big bad. He came out with like this big blonde wig and it was pretty crazy. And then COVID happened and then that movie just slipped through the cracks. So I don't think that we're ever going to do anything with that end piece. Um, I mentioned the Wes Anderson films, Spike Lee, you, you got that right off the bat. 25th Hour, I've only seen that once, and I, I guess I need to revisit that at some point, because I know it's a banger. Yes. Yeah, it's good. I All haven't right. seen it in a long time either, but it's yeah. very intense. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Brian Cox is in that. Yeah, just banger casting all around. All right, awards time here. Uh, sixth man of the movie is actually a woman for me this week. I didn't really, I didn't really have anybody that else that I was thinking of. Usually, usually I have it like lasered in who I'm going to pick, and then I kind of just waffle to not be boring. But I didn't waffle at all. Helen Bottom Carter. This is, you know, I she might even be an MVP talk for this movie. But I went with her as six man. I think this is MVP for me. It was it was either Pitt or Norton, and we'll both reveal our picks on there soon. But yeah, this she. I remember just this was the first time I saw her in anything and I was like, who is this? You know, she just has like a natural charisma and, you know, Fincher got what he needed out of her and they were both really great for each other. And this was kind of like a, a rocket launch of, of her career. So I went with uh, Helena Bonham Carter as Marla. What say you? I picked the same. Okay. Um, I love how Marla is characterized. Um, the smoke, the slow-mo smoking shots. Uh, her crossing into oncoming traffic, like, you know, oh, there's cars coming at me, no big deal. <laughs> uh, the black clothing. The she's way so she, cool. Yeah. The way she stomps through the house whenever she's mad at Tyler. Um, and that's all a testament to Bonham Carter. You know, she makes yeah. that character come alive, you know. So I definitely, I went with her as well. Okay. MVP, like, like I just said, I, I don't, I think you're either going one way or the other here. Either, either going Pitt or Norton. And like I said, I didn't have this marked. I don't know if this is the best Pitt performance ever, but I, I definitely think it's the most popular. I think when you think of his career and he's done just so many, and we could be here all day talking about his career, but he's done so many great movies. And I think this is probably the most popular. I don't know if it's my favorite movie of his or the favorite performance, but it's, the most popular, like I said, you, you go around a room, ask 20 people, what do you, what's the first movie you think of when you think Brad Pitt? Most of those people are going to say Fight Club. And for, for that reason, it was, I give him a slight bump above Norton and I went with Brad Pitt as my MVP. And you? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I figured I knew your answer already. 100% Brad Pitt. 12 Monkeys is my favorite Brad Pitt performance. Okay. Uh, that cannot be topped. It's one of my favorite performances from anyone, but um, 
the Brad man and his, the way he conveys emotion just speaks to me. And yeah, he gets, he gets MVP hands down for me. All right. So we are in sync on both of those. All right. No cool. poll. I know no poll this week. All right. Less, less work for me. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll put something up, see if everyone agrees with us. What's something good you watched this week? Uh, I will share one movie and one TV show. So the movie of the week is Resurrection uh, with Rebecca Hall. And I believe, Dave, you said you hadn't seen it yet. I had not. But yeah. Um, Talk freely. So it is definitely, I mean, the best way I can describe it is uh, it's an A24 movie, if it were an A24 movie. Um, but it's not made by A24, but it could have mm-hmm. easily been distributed by them. Uh, it's one of those ambiguous kind of ending things with a lot of metaphor, uh, lots to think about, lots to chew on. Rebecca Hall is amazing in it. She gives uh, this great, it's been a year of, uh, of monologues, eight minute monologues in horror movies, because yeah. this one, her monologue, I think Mia Goth's one is better. Okay. In Pearl, but hers is definitely um, memorable. And so, yeah, it was just, I really, you know, it was funny. I rated it on Letterboxd a 3.5 out of okay. 5. And then I went and read a bunch of articles about it. And I went up to a 4 because I realized for me, I like some people, I'll talk to people and they'll complain about that, that they don't want to do any research after. They just want to be entertained and be done. And I'm the opposite. I, I like when like, I want to read up on something and I want to understand it better sure. and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, the more I read about it, I was like, wow, this can be interpreted in like 15 different ways. Uh-huh. You can think of this, that, and like, I love that, you know, like, it's just, it's a very intellectual experience for me. So I loved it, thought it was really good and I recommend it. And then also today I just started Kaleidoscope. Um, okay. That's with Giancarlo Esposito um, and uh, somebody else that's in it. Well, I guess for people that haven't heard of it yet, because it is, it just dropped recently. Um, basically, it is a Netflix show that is revolves around a heist and that a heist that's been decades in the making. And each episode drops you at a point in time in relation to this heist. Um, so some of it's 20 years before one episode might be 20 years before one might be six months later, one might be, uh, two weeks before that sort of thing. And the gimmick on this is that everyone's given on your Netflix account, different order of episodes. It's not completely like a free for all, like the last episode, everyone sees the last same last episode, but the first episode, there's two different types that you see first. Um, the ones in the middle are, they're in different orders. So basically your experience and my experience are two different things. And I think that that's really cool. That's what made me want to watch it. Um, and I'll be, you know, like now that I know there's another episode people were introduced to when I see that one, I'm going to be thinking, you know, getting to know the characters from a different entry point. How does that change the experience? So anyway, that part is, is pretty cool. Um, the show itself I, I saw the first episode. I saw the yellow episode. They're each, they're color coded episodes. Okay. Um, the one I saw today was just very entertaining. Uh, if you take like Guy Ritchie, um, 
like the movie Bulletproof, stuff like that. Like it's just, it's very like fast paced and uh, the score it, and the songs used are just really, they propel the action along. And the other thing is uh, Jay Courtney's in it. I, I'm uh, looking at the, I'm on the IMDb now. It looks like it's yeah. that cast. So Jay Courtney's in it and he was in Suicide Squad uh, yep. playing Boomerang. And essentially what you can imagine is if you took the character Boomerang and you copied him and pasted him into this show, that's what you would have there. So okay. it's the character, but in a completely different setting. And it works. He okay. He's hilarious. He's very entertaining. I was totally like captivated by his scenes. Okay. But as a whole, you know, I usually don't like to talk about shows before I've seen them like, you know, at least to like 75% to be able to say, oh, I enjoy this. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm like sharing with others. But based off the first episode that I saw, I think I'm definitely in. And, you know, it's I don't think it's going to be a show that's going to rock my world or anything like that. But as far as being like an entertaining, sure. um, not bored at any point kind of show, I think it's going to work. So right. I encourage Dave, yourself and <laughs> and anyone, anyone who's listening to check it out. All right. I, I may just do that. I'm, I'm the only my only uh, apprehension would be the Netflix factor. It just seems like they're canceling everything left and right for with well, no rhyme or reason. I don't think that this is meant to be, I More think this than... is a one season limited series type of show. Okay. Because right, it's that's... basically, because the center point is this heist that happens during the show. I mean, unless you could go into season two and it's a new heist, you know, okay. but, but I think it's a type of show where you can wrap it up all in one season. Got it. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's, it's tough to avoid it. Every time you go on Netflix, it's like right there. It's, it's number one on their top 10. So yeah, sounds like a, sounds like something. Because to... then you can tell me what color episode you watched, I... and then we can talk about it and and whatever. <laughs> All right, well that that's another selling point. And you said that's it for me. Oh, got it. Okay, tell uh, us what you watched. All right, um, I'll go also. I'll also go movie TV. Uh, right before we started recording, I checked off a, a blind spot here, and I watched The Jackal. This was from 1997, starring Bruce Willis and Richard Gere. Uh, Bruce Willis is a Russian assassin, and Richard Gere is an Irish assassin with the accent and all. He's doing a, a heavy Irish accent in this movie. It was a, definitely a, a product of the 90s. This was from 1997, and Willis is just this, like, he's his name in the movie is the Jackal. Like, we don't get, like, a, a real name. And he's, he's this assassin that nobody's been able to catch for all these years. He's just wearing all these like different wigs. And one scene, he's got a fat suit on. It's just like fat Bruce Willis. Um, a young Jack Black is in this movie. I'll, I'll give a little spoiler. He has a brutal death scene. And it was Jack 97, I guess, is around the same time as I still know what you did last summer. So this is kind of when he was showing up in bit parts. And he's in this. Sidney Poitier is in this. Um, just J.K. Simmons is in this is like in a bit part this was kind of like before he was kind of anybody huge and it's just it's basically these two playing tete-a-tete with one another uh willis is sent to kill the head of the fbi and they have to break richard gears characters in prison and they have to break him out because he's the one man who could stop willis's jackal it's just it's so ridiculous i do remember seeing the trailer i don't know why i didn't see this movie when it came out it was it was a lot of fun it was a little over two hours and i i was scrolling right before we started recording. I was like, I've never seen this before. Let me let me throw this on. I'm glad I did because it, it fucking rolled. Have you seen this or heard of it? 
I have not, but I'm a Richard Gere fan. He's so good. It, it makes me curious or to, to check it out. I, I like I like Gere a lot. It was good. And I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where like Richard Gere is like a bona fide action hero. And that's what he's doing here. And it's 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 different. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, he's on my list of like since I've like gotten into watching older movies lately. Okay. He's on my list of like older actors that are really awesome who were like super awesome during their heyday kind of yeah. thing, you know, and he's one of them. Yeah. So this is this is a cool if you like either of the Bruce Willis or Gear, I'd I'd recommend this. It was um I found it on stars. And then uh, for TV, I'll shout out. I haven't really gotten to like too much new stuff because we're wrapping up the year. I kind of like I turned the page on a lot of things that I was watching, kind of gearing up for 2023 to start making brainstorming for new lists and stuff. But I am still very much into Tulsa King, which is just awful. And yet I'm obsessed with it. The show is just not it's just from a technical you're not going to see it. It's not going to be an award season presence in any way, shape, or form. It's just it, a lot of recycled dialogue from all these old mob movies. It's probably like Soprano storylines. A lot of these guys in the show are like Sopranos bit players. They were a Boardwalk Empire. Uh, the one guy who's like the the Dominic Lombard, Lombardazzi, who's bald and everything. And for some reason, he has hair in this show. Don't know why. He was he was on The Wire. He was on um, Boardwalk Empire. He plays like the boss that is like Stallone's foil. Stallone plays Dwight the General Manfredi. That's that's the name of that's the name of this character. And it's I don't know if they have a script for the show. I think <laughs> if you looked at the script, it's just look tough. And I think that's all that like these guys have to say. Because they they that's all they do. They just look tough. And none of it makes any sense. He rolls up to this he rolls up to Tulsa, Oklahoma, because that's where the mob sends him to kind of like be out of everyone's hair. And within 10 minutes of being there, he's got his hand in everything. He runs this town. It's very unrealistic. He runs, he's taking a piece of the legal weed dispensary. It doesn't, why are you involved in the, this, don't you do like a legal activity? I don't know why they're just letting you be here. None of it makes any sense. One of the storylines was stolen directly from the Sopranos. You watch Sopranos, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so one of these, one of these rival gangsters, whose tagline was the package. He apparently like sexually assaulted Stallone's daughter. And we get the same storyline that we got in Sopranos where Gandolfini beat the shit out of the guy for making a pass at Meadow. Complete Stallone yelling, my fucking daughter, my fucking daughter, just as Gandolfini did. Not even like trying to hide that we're just lifting this storyline from Sopranos. And he stomps the guy's head the same way Gandolfini did. And I don't care. It fucking rolls. <laughs> this is so bad. I, you're not like much of a Taylor Sheridan person in general. I don't know. You know, you didn't like Mary Kingstown or Yellowstone. No, no. Okay. Um, so I don't know well, if you like. I don't know if I'd recommend this to you in good faith. Then. <coughs> yeah. Um, well, I am curious just because you're you're not voicing an opinion I haven't heard elsewhere. Yeah. So it seems to be. Like it's got like a, a campiness to it that people Definitely. love. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, you uh, so that makes me curious. Yeah. And it's, if you want, if you've seen any of those shows like Sopranos, you're, you're going to, you're going to do the DiCaprio point like through the whole, whole way. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's the guy who played Luciano in Boardwalk or that's the guy who played Herc on The Wire. Or that's, you know, Vinny from whatever. On that note, Danielle, where can we follow you? 
Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd <clears throat> under Danielle41515. I write like probably about six to seven reviews a week. You do? Lo love interacting with people and talking about, you know, what they loved, what I loved, you know, and I, and I'm always up to follow somebody and see what they have to say. So definitely check me out and be my friend. <laughs> Yes, I do enjoy reading your reviews. Always well thought out and articulate. You learn some shit. So Thank yeah, you. definitely a good follow. You can find me. I'm at DDEM2000 across the board. That's Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram. We have an Instagram and Twitter for the show as well at Was It That Bad Pod. Give us a follow there. I guess we won't have any polls this week since Danielle and I were in sync with both of our awards. But usually we post polls, show updates, etc. on their quizzes. So give us a follow there. Um, if you like Fight Club or you like any other movie or show, you want to talk about it with Danielle, myself, many other great people, join the Movie and Television Talk Facebook group. Just type that into a group search. We are the red cover photo. Next couple of weeks, we have, what do we have going on? I have to look at my list here. We have Easy A for our next episode. And then we have two weeks, American Psycho. So we have a couple of good ones coming up. I'm excited to talk about both of those. Danielle, any thoughts on either of those? Um, <clears throat> love American Psycho. I've been meaning to rewatch that for the longest time. It's been sitting on my watch list, yeah. my rewatch list forever. Uh, Christian Bale is yeah. unbelievable in that role. One of his best roles for sure. Sure. Uh, that's definitely what put him on the map. Yeah, it's definitely that's a that's a fun one. That's yeah. I, I bet that'll be I'll be I'll be listening to that podcast for sure. All right. Sounds good. All right. Yeah, I definitely look forward to revisiting. I have, it's like Fight Club. It's been a while since I've had a reason to and I'm glad to have a reason to. So it'll, that'll be fun. Look forward to covering both of those. Danielle, it was great to talk to you tonight. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. You got a great talk. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all next week. Night, everybody.